It's crazy how much our economy has changed just in the last generation. On today's show, the skills you need to master the influencer economy. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 250. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this is the weekly show that will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you to develop your leadership skills. And I'm glad that you've joined in today, if maybe for the first of many times, or maybe you've been listening for a while. And regardless of how you're coming to the show, you know that the world has changed. It used to be that when you were trying to influence the world, there were very traditional ways to do that not only within the organization, but even trying to attract customers and trying to market your business. You'd purchase advertising or do all the traditional things that many of us were used to, but the world has really changed and we very much live in the influencer economy now. And that's why today's guest is going to be valuable for all of us of thinking, how do we become more effective at influencing not only within our organizations, but also externally to the organizations to really be able to get our message out there and to be able to represent our organizations well. And my guest today is Ryan Williams. Ryan is an entrepreneur, writer, podcast host, and also a former stand-up comedian. He is the founder of Influencer Economy, a consulting group that helps brands and entrepreneurs develop and scale their platforms. He also hosts Stories from the Influencer Economy podcast, and his book is coming out as we speak by the same name, Influencer Economy, that's just launched. Uh, he has been a pioneer in the media industry, overseeing online marketing activations for companies such as Disney, Microsoft, Activision, and Warner Brothers. Ryan, I'm so glad to get reconnected with you. You and I, uh, speaking of influence, met at a lunch about six or seven months ago. And you know, it's always so great to see how connections build these days through through the online world, isn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. I And thank you for having me, Dave. Yeah, exciting to connect with people because we met through a mutual friend at a big conference that was going on. And I always find the, the best times at conferences, which can be so noisy, are when you grab a lunch that a friend plans or a dinner with a group where you actually can detract from the noise and have a normal conversation and really get to know people. Yeah. And that's one of the things about conferences is as great as they are from a content standpoint, you can all, a lot of conferences these days, you can even get the recordings and all that later of what was said at sessions, but you, you can't duplicate the the connections. And I think that's one of the the great things about taking the time to go to a live event or a conference is that you really get to build relationships with people in person and things that you wouldn't normally just bump into someone online. And so there's, as much as we are in this digital world, there's nothing that'll ever replace that, that personal live connection that's so valuable for us. At that lunch, I remember laughing. People next to me were saying, oh, I, Great meeting you for the first time. We Skype all the time. Yeah. Or you've been on my podcast and I've been on yours and we've done webinars together. And there's something about taking your online friendships to, to offline that really does take it to the next level. Well, and it's a great lead into our conversation today because there's many people in our audience who are leaders in small to medium-sized organizations. And 
they're thinking about this new economy that we find ourselves in, Ryan, and it, it is much more complicated than the days of Mad Men <laughs> to think about the, you know, the popular TV series where you used to hire an advertising agency and you'd craft a marketing message and a brand and you'd figure out what places you would put those ads in order to get your message out about your organization or their, your product or service. Uh, the world has really changed a lot about, uh, uh, especially in the last five to 10 years. Yeah, it's an exciting time. It's, it's a noisy time because we all have access to online tools and resources to get our voice heard. And so, you know, I'm fascinated by how to separate yourself from everyone else by creating your own opportunities through the web. And yeah, the, the Mad Men era of Mohawk Airlines and trying to advertise and buy media on billboards is, is over. And even banner ads, the last time I clicked on a banner ad was on accident. And I was so mad at myself when I was on a website yeah. that really most of the results I find for things I'm looking for online are through referrals and networks or through Google search. And yeah. that's about it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And and that's uh, that's actually a good starting point for our conversation because you know a lot of us grew up in a world that was different than this. And we're sort of learning this and we're navigating as we go. And we keep hearing all these terms like SEO and uh, content marketing and all these things that we're supposed to be doing. But I think for a lot of us, we're not, we're not as savvy on that as we probably could or should be. And I know... I know there are a number of folks just in our mastermind community that are thinking about how they further the influence and the reach of their organization in order to reach more customers or to reach more people in their industry. And and so one of the things I'm curious about is just for an organization or even a leader who's thinking about how to start influencing more effectively and, and particularly using the internet these days to do that, what's a good starting point as far as how to begin thinking about that? Yeah, the first starting point is just start. However simple that sounds, a lot of people get in the way of themselves. They need to be perfect or they wait to execute a big idea that never comes to fruition. And I think a lot of times we think we need these big visions to start something. And oftentimes I, I say, pick a platform. And I, I coach people to just pick a, a platform, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, a YouTube series, it could be a Q&A you do weekly on your LinkedIn page with someone who's influential and you start creating. And then from there, you can reverse engineer a bigger vision. Because oftentimes when we just start, our ideas, they take shape and they take life and other people give us input. And I'm a big proponent of, of never building in a silo. And it's always important to find people like the, the person that works at a small organization that doesn't get outside of their own echo chamber they're going to wake up one day and the world's going to pass them by because they didn't get feedback from their peers or from the, the people they look up to or their customers. And you always have to be building with other people. And so picking a platform and, and planning your flagpole down and saying, I believe this. And oftentimes I recommend you pick a category and you pick something very specific because the internet's so vast. You have to be segmenting your ideas and your audience. And so for me, as an example, I was fascinated by online influence. And I thought, I'm going to write a book, I, but I'm not an author. I'm an entrepreneur. How do I do this? So I, I realized that podcasting, you know, as a former stand-up comedian, it was, I love talking to, to people and crowds. And that was my first observation was, okay, I like stand-up. I like being an audience interaction person. And then I like to also build out relationships. And then the third thing, I, I, I really felt like the podcast was, was an undervalued area. It's like Moneyball where like no one covered these YouTube creators and podcasters that I wanted to interview. And so I validated my idea and said, okay, I'm gonna write a book 
but I'm going to pick a platform in podcasting, which is going to take me to the ultimate product launch for my book. Oh, interesting. And well, and I resonate a lot with what you say about just starting in, in a lot of ways. And I'm sort of, Ryan, I'm both embarrassed sometimes and proud by this when when people ask me like, whoa, whoa, how did you start this show? Like, what was your strategy for coaching for leaders? And there wasn't really a strategy at the beginning. It was, I didn't even know anyone was listening for the first three months, but I started with it and started to get feedback from people. And it turned into something that ended up being a lot bigger. But I, I resonate with that because I remember at the beginning, even starting when no one was listening, thinking like, oh, I really need to figure out all this and figure out all that and figure out the long-term strategy. And I, I realized at some point, and I, I guess I had gotten the message a few times of just start, start and get some feedback from people and and either get feedback that it's not working or that it's not good or that it is working. And then you craft it as you go and you respond to that feedback. And like you said, you're not building in a silo, then you're actually interacting with people and finding out what works. And you're, yeah, exactly. You're getting feedback and you're creating a feedback mechanism that if you hadn't had your podcast or I had, and you started yours years ago, like we were joking before you're an early adopter because you listen to podcasts very early yeah, and then you created one early and you have that first mover advantage because now as popular as podcasts have become and as advertisers start understanding the value of, of the ROI that people are big media companies now are podcasting and you as an independent creator and myself, you know, as a small business owner, I feel like the podcasting world is still so early, but we have an advantage because you, you have hundreds of episodes. So if someone Googles you and they want to get to know you, you know, Google is everyone's homepage and everyone searches for what they want. And it's great to find your LinkedIn profile. But if I really want to get to know you, I could listen to five episodes and say, okay, I want to work with Dave or I want to be in his podcast, or I want to collaborate with him somehow. And if you don't have a platform out there, then you're at a disservice to actually build relationships with people that aren't just in your hometown or in your personal network that you already know. You need to go outside of your network, and picking a platform really does that for you. Well, it's really interesting to me how often I've heard, and, and we're, by the way, not necessarily trying to get everyone out there to start a podcast. That's not the oh, right no, medium no. for it's, everyone. The podcast uh, is more the metaphor. It's more of the platform we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and as I'm as we're talking, I'm thinking back, I've gotten emails from several people in our community in the last six months or so who have said they're starting a podcast, not for the internet, but they're starting a podcast for their own in, internal organization where they're getting someone within the organization has decided to start a podcast and have people within the organization listen and they're using it for community building and culture building and training. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I never even thought, yeah, I never about, thought about that. that. And, and, and how many people are doing that. And so I, I think it's, I mean, it depends on what your goals are and what you're trying to do. But I think the key is, like you said, pick, pick a platform. So maybe for you, it's a Q&A form for your customers. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a blog. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's a video series on YouTube, like you said. But I think there's the tendency when we're thinking about this online world and marketing and we see you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and all these things out there to feel like you have to be everywhere and be doing everything. And my sense, Ryan, is that there's a lot of organizations and leaders out there who are doing a large quantity of things, but they're doing many of them poor to mediocre versus really focusing on one or two things to get their message out and hitting it out of the park. Absolutely. It's so noisy and there's so many choices. You know, Snapchat is becoming so big with young people that people now need a, your company needs a Snapchat strategy or not, but you don't need to jump on the bandwagon and do, you know, a, a service that has 50 different websites you post to, to throw your photos online or to 
post a status update about your business, that really when it comes to the platform, it's all about the relationship. And it's about relationships with influencers. And one piece of advice I give people that I coach for the, the Q&A we're talking about, doing a Q&A uh, page on your website or a blog, is go outside your network and make a list of 10 people you look up to and say, I want to build a relationships with that person. And I'm not going to ask them for coffee. I'm not going to say, hey, can I pick your brain? I'm going to email them and say, can we collaborate on a project? I have a blog. I'd love to ask you 10 questions. You can get back to me via email. We can chat by phone. And I'm going to make content. And that content becomes something shareable because I can post it to my community. And then their, their community will also be a part of it because the influencer you reach out to is going to share it to their audience. And it's something so simple. But the era of, hey, can, can you just post this on social media for me? Will you tweet this to your followers is, is over. Social media doesn't move the needle that way anymore. You have to create some sort of collaborative content with an influencer. And I really recommend just a Q&A blog as a foot in the door because long-term, I want to have relationships with everyone I've interviewed on my podcast. And I've talked to very successful people. And only because I have a platform did it give me the opportunity to really, the, the phrase I use is uh, you outkick your coverage. You know, and I'm really, I'm really someone that is an ordinary marketing person, an entrepreneur. And I've talked to some really heavy hitters in my business category because I had that platform to reach out. Well, and this is something that I think is probably one of the big stopping points for a lot of people and even small business people is they know who those influencers are in their industry or even among their customers. And they have the story either internally or in their own brains of going like, well, that person would never collaborate with me or that person would never you know, make the time to spend doing something together. How do you approach that with, with people when you hear that, Ryan? And, and is that true? I think it, it, it's an easy way to self-defeat your own work. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if you don't think that you can actually reach these people. And there's an underrated value in cold emails. And I've made great friends through my podcast, through cold emails, because I've asked them to come on my show. And in the internet, everyone is reachable. I, I interviewed Seth Godin two weeks ago, who's one of my heroes, a marketing pioneer. If anyone out there wants to read a great book, The Dip, which he wrote about how it's okay to quit things like your job if you're not going to be the best in the world at it. And sometimes you have to quit stuff to be great at other stuff. And have you read any, read any of Seth's books? I, I've read a few of the books, and I, I didn't even know about The Dip until about three or four weeks ago. I had uh, shared it with the uh, the Weekly Leadership Guide with our community. I'm really excited to read that book because I get that question a lot of like, okay, should I should I quit my job or should I keep doing this? And I'm really excited for what he, he says in that book. So <laughs> even though it's not the top of our conversation today, I'd, I'd love to get into that more and just learn about what his advice is on that. Yeah, he's he. so I talked to him about The Dip on my podcast because... I had an opportunity to pick a platform to collaborate with him. And I emailed him a year ago, out of the blue, and said, hey, Seth, I've interviewed these other people. And I showed him, it's important to have social proof often when you reach out to people to collaborate. Like, don't go and say, hey, I want to talk to Bill Gates tomorrow. That's not realistic. But you need to pick out people that are in your network and make you feel comfortable that you can reach out to them and never ask for a favor. It's an underrated thing to consider but always make it a win-win mutually. Because when you ask for favors, people feel like they're putting them themselves out for you. And you don't want to set yourself up that someone act, has to act like they're doing you something that you need. And so if you set yourself up from a, a position where you're an equal, 
because you have the platform. And even if you're just building it and you have no guests and you, you have no one to collaborate with for my podcast or you're just building something brand new, it's okay. It's the internet. People have a, a quick memory and they, they also forget fast because they know that sometimes things come and go. But if you have an idea that you want to be in this for the long haul, then I think you should just pick five to 10 people that you, you look up to and find out the most reachable people first and, and get them on. And they'll give you social proof. And so I emailed Seth a year ago and he said he was busy. Then I emailed him a couple months ago and said, hey, I want to follow up. I've had these other guests too. And they were friends of his. And he said, oh, well, let's do this next week. Hit me up, you know, email me again. And so <laughs> three times emailing him later, I got him on and he's my hero. Like I look up to this guy and the fact that I had that validation that I got him on, it took a whole year. It's a, it's a, it's a long game and you can't get deterred by getting rejected because otherwise it's never going to happen. And realize every successful person gets rejected all the time. It's just the people that are able to move on and say, okay, well, the internet's big. There's a lot of influencers I want to collaborate with. It's a matter of finding the right ones that fit for me. Yeah, well, and it's a, it's, a, it's such a funny example because I've emailed Seth Godin to be on this show too. And he said no because uh, he was busy and I didn't do the follow-up. Shame on me. Probably if I had, I would have, uh, you know, he'd been on the show already. So, you know, it's a great example of that. And when I think of this from a standpoint of, you know, how would I start this? I mean, I love the message of, hey, this isn't about favors. It's about how do you genuinely help out the people that you'd be collaborating with. And so I think the message here is for if your organization is thinking about doing something and thinking about getting a message out there and putting up a blog or doing videos or whatever you're going to do is thinking about it from the standpoint of the people you invite to collaborate with you on that, that are in your industry, that are maybe of your customers is how do you really make them look good? And maybe even starting from that standpoint of how do you really serve them? How do you make them look good, feature their wisdom, feature their message and help them get out there in the world? And then then you're a hero and a superstar and and they're going to share that too. If you, if you portray them in a positive light and show their message and their story. I have a couple of ways to think about it and, and to your context of being a hero is you need to make it easy as possible for the, these influencers to say yes. You don't want to get a no. You can get a, I'm busy or I can't do it right now. But a no is, uh-oh, I, I blew my one opportunity right here. Right. But if you make it easy for them to say yes, and then you do all the work. You do all the legwork. You have a cool logo. You have a a great looking website, you take the time to write a really and well-crafted uh, blog post or whatever the, the, the collaboration is, you make it so easy that you just drag the, the link to whatever you created to collaborate, you email to them and they can share it. And you don't want them to say no and you want them to just literally give you whatever time you need. Don't make it an hour. Try to give them as like, hey, I need you for a 15 minute window or or make it as simple as possible for them to show up, do what they need to do, and then you move on. Well, and this brings us right into one of the realities that I know a lot of the people you work with, Ryan, and also who are part of our community, who are you know in small to medium-sized organizations, are having to do a lot of this themselves. So they don't have necessarily a gigantic marketing department. And so one of the things I've noticed that you've zeroed in on in the book is what you call book your own gigs. And how you have to think through doing some of that legwork and developing an expertise in some of these different areas, but also thinking about who's going to do that and how are you going to spend the time to make that happen with limited resources. Uh, tell me more about that. What do you mean by book your own gigs and how should we approach that when we're thinking about putting together a project like this? Yeah, booking your own gigs is it, it actually 
it came to me, you know, as a stand-up comedy metaphor. Because when I was a comedian, I had to write my own jokes, perform at open mics to practice the jokes, network with other comedians to find new gigs, network with club owners to get booked. You know, getting the in front of people in a paid atmosphere as a comedian is very hard. And in business, it's very, it's very similar. You have to book your own gigs because it's, it's all on you. You're a small business owner. You maybe have a team of a couple people, but most likely this is your, your life. This is your weekends and your nights. And as much as possible, it's up to you to, to thrive. So booking your own gigs is, okay, I have to accept that I'm the marketer. I'm the business development lead. I could be the coder. I'm going to figure out WordPress. I may be the graphic designer and everything falls on me. And so if it doesn't get done, it's, it's, it's my work that has failed. And so when you book your own gigs, you, you have to do it all yourself. But in turn, you need to realize that you need to find partners to collaborate with that you hire or that are part of your team that are on salary or, or work as a favor because you can't do it all. And so I always recommend people make a matrix. It's a priority for creating an opportunity to manage your, your, your time. So if it comes down to I do it, I pay someone to do it, or I get uh, help for free. And those all come at a cost. If I'm booking my own gigs and doing the work, let's say in graphic design, I have to learn a new skill. The quality may not be as great, but it gets done for free. However, it's also my time that I'm giving up. So there's cost-benefit analysis for that. The second, if I pay someone to do it, it's out-of-pocket expenses, which is negative, but it also accelerates the professional quality of the work to get done. So there's a positive. And then finally, if I get a friend to help for free, which is often what you have to do as an entrepreneur and a small business owner is you do favors and you help people and you give and they give back. But if I get something for free, there's no direct time management here because if everyone knows you get free work, there's no guarantee when it's going to get done. Yeah. And so you have to find the priorities for whether or not you do it, you pay someone or you, you get a favor. I like the way you frame that. And I, I've, I've used all three of those different methods when I think about coaching for leaders over the years. I think one of the things is helpful to think too is like, what are you go, what are you good at already? Or what could you get reasonably good at fairly quickly? And what are things that you're just not going to get good at? Like, I know that there's some people are just like, you know, hey, WordPress is not something I'm going to figure out, or I'm not going to, I'm, there's no way I'm going to design a logo that's of any quality that anyone would, you know, want to see. And the thinking that through is, that helps you to make some of the decisions of like, okay, here's something I could take on myself, or here's something that I really do need to get someone to help me out with. And then, and if you can do some thinking on that in advance, then that that helps a lot of just then you don't become the stopping point as the leader or 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 the project manager of running that forward. Exactly, because you can absolutely become the roadblock, and nothing worse than a leader who blocks their own opportunities because they get in the way of themselves and they don't know how to delegate. And this is still part of the just start phase of the process of the My Influencer Economy book, because you can get in the way of yourself so easily that it keeps you from just starting because you want to do it all. Like I live in Los Angeles. I meet so many people that had this screenplay they never finished, or they right. have a short film that they've never put online because they can't get the music right, or they, they haven't finished the final draft of their screenplay. And that happens with everyone's ideas, because if you don't put it out there, then no one's going to ever see it. And so getting people under the mentality of, okay, if I book my own gigs, that also means I have to find these A-plus teammates to help me get my idea out the door. Nice. Well, we talked about the importance of finding the influencers out there in, in, in your industry and among your customer base even potentially. 
Um, and you also make the point in your writing of the importance of community collaboration. Tell me more about that. How's that different from influencer collaboration? Yeah, the community collaboration is something that you have to do brick by brick. And it, I use community in the sense that that could mean customers, that could mean audience, or it just means people that have your back. And the folks in your community want you to succeed and they want you to win. And so you need to collaborate with them. And I'm a firm believer in handing over your, your brand to folks in your community and to help collaborate to make your identity. And I don't mean like, hey, here's my logo, help me Photoshop it. it it's more like spiritually you're connecting with your, your community and saying, look, we're in this together. You know, I, I study a lot of people that do successful Kickstarter campaigns. And often the advocacy that comes from people backing campaigns is the endearment they have for the leader that is launching the campaign. Oh, interesting. I, so I've watched your YouTube videos for five years for free. I've had some ads, of course. But as a fan, this guy, Freddie Wong, who I write about, he did Video Game High School, which is a, a Harry Potter for video games. And it's watched by a billion people online. It's, it's an amazing web series. And he's crowdfunded uh, $2 million over three campaigns. And people love him because they've watched him on YouTube for five years and they know that he delivers a good product and he's done it for free. And so they feel like there's an obligation here to keep him in business. And they want to keep the lights on because Freddie makes such great stuff that brings them joy. And the obligation of Freddie in return is I'm going to have you back my campaign. I'll give you perks in return. And I always recommend people I coach and work with to fund at least one Kickstarter or Indiegogo or crowdfunding campaign. There's something about the psychology of me paying for someone's passion project and the emails I get back. So Freddie Wong sends these personal videos. He does Reddit AMAs. And he's giving you all this great behind-the-scenes content of how he scaled his budget to do locations for the film shoot that you don't get that from buying a product on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And you, you really have to treat your customers like they're a partner. And an underrated element is thanking them. I feel like my mom, I talk about my mom in the book, Mom Williams. She always wanted me to treat people with respect and express gratitude and be appreciative. And just thanking your community is so important because without them, you, you're, without your customers, you have no, no business, no product. And if your community is happy, then your business will be happy. And if your community is unhappy, then your business will be unhappy. Oh, for sure. And, and, and just so people don't miss the point, because and, and, I missed it originally when I, I heard you give that advice, Ryan, it's, it's not go start a Kickstarter campaign. No, no. It's, which, I mean, it's some, for some people might be the right strategy, but, but you're saying is just, just go be part of one. Like just go, put in yeah, some money for the community. a... It's, it's, an, it's an eye-opening experience of a grassroots way to market and reach an audience yeah. and, and keep them in the loop. Yeah, and you watch like what they do then as they're keeping you up to date on the product. And I've done a couple of these and it's really interesting like how, you know, how people handle stuff and especially when stuff doesn't go according to plan, <laughs> which is interesting, like how they communicate, what they do, what kind of incentives they use. Um, and it's really, it is interesting to just to see like, how does this work in today's world where a lot of this is happening through influence and through how the, the relationships you build online and it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch how some of these people are becoming cultural figures out of nowhere but they're not out of nowhere because they have these de devout internet followings. And it's all about, I recommend people, and I know, I know there's a lot of business owners here that may not focus on email marketing, but I, I feel like email is still the best channel to reach people. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll admit it, I check email 
in bed <laughs> before I start my day. And I often put a podcast on while I'm sleeping and check my email before I go to bed. And I, I found that most of the people I study, they have either a subscriber, which is on YouTube or a podcast or an email. And those are the best ways to, to connect with an audience. And Twitter and Facebook are more fleeting and they're more media networks. But if you want to collaborate with, with someone, you know, calling back to our earlier conversation, I often find tweeting someone you look up to that is active on Twitter is an entirely effective way to reach out to collaborate. And you can pose a tweet that's, you know, I've gotten so many great podcast guests that are complete strangers that have invited me to their office because I've tweeted them and shown them that I have value and I have a platform. And then in turn, you get their email and, and you build the relationship. And so it's all about, you know, going to conferences and meeting people and figuring out how you can connect with someone that you want to collaborate with and really making an effort to show them that you're going to add value and it's going to be easy for them to collaborate. Yeah. And the message you've said so many times in this conversation is, you know, just get started, start trying some things. And if it works great, and if it doesn't, you know, try something else, but, but start focus on one or two areas where you can start to reach out and to build those connections. And, and, and this actually leads right into another big point that I noticed you've got in your writing, which is, and you haven't said this explicitly yet, but being accessible to people and being responsive to people. One of the things that I'm, I'm always interested in, Ryan, whenever my wife and I are thinking about hiring someone to do something, some work on our home or, or something where we're looking for reviews, I'll often go to Yelp and I'll just do a search. And I'm really interested not so much in like how many positive reviews people have, but I always look at what how the business responds to the negative reviews because there's always negative reviews you know it doesn't matter you know the size of the business um and i'm always interested how they respond did they handle that professionally or do they just you know respond back with criticism and, and i think this is core to one of the things you you talk about is like just being accessible and being present in some of these places so that people know you're there absolutely you have to you have to do a couple things one is you have to you have to meet people in real life like that's part of accessibility. And if you are an influencer, and this is a later stage in the book, it's step three, um, after just start, build community, and then you're accessible. Is One element is you have to go to conferences and you have to do what we did and go to lunches and, and connect with people face-to-face -face and take your offline relationships you know, to the next level by, by saying, okay, now we know each other. This is it. Now let's really work together because we want to work with people we like. And we trust people that we meet in real life a lot more than just through online connections. And so that's, that's the first phase of accessibility is building these relationships and then turning them into friendships because I want to work with my friends. I don't want to work with people I don't like and I trust my friends. And then the accessibility you know, later stages is, is opening doors for other people and helping others. And you talk about the, the Yelp reviews and how you interact and be accessible is, is another element is like once you have a community, and you have an audience, and you have people that are championing your ideas, you're obligated, 99% of the people I have, I have studied, you're obligated to help other people equally open up doors to their communities. Mm. And another way to really help people in advance of, of working with them or collaborating with them is to make introductions on their behalf before you need to ask for a favor. And helping them, just helping people. Like it's, I would say even 100% of my people are givers. There's a great book, Adam Grant's uh, Give and Take. Oh, yeah. I love that book. One of my favorite books, and I quote Adam in, the, in my book, and I interviewed him on my podcast, like episode seven, back when I had no audience. And he talks about how givers succeed the most in life, but they also fail the most. 
And I found that the givers in the influencer economy, they have their own interests self-aligned with their giving. And that's what Adam talks about, is you have to protect your own interest if you give and help. But once you get to a certain plateau, and this is why, you know, getting into an earlier question about people maybe getting deterred or frustrated if they, if they can't collaborate with someone they look up to, is that most of the people that are influencers understand that they were once someone who aspired to be influential. Mm, yeah. And they want to kick it back and they want to help you. It's like Seth Godin. He made me work for it, but he knew that he was that guy 20 some years ago. And so there's a mentality of accessibility. And, and the reason why I framed it as accessibility is because I went to these conferences like VidCon for YouTubers and South by Southwest, you know, where you have tech entrepreneurs and just going and meeting people in real life and actually having their guards down is, is invaluable because you have to engender trust now and you need a brand and an identity where people feel like, you know, the reason why Yelp gets so many negative reviews is because there's a certain type of person that often goes to Yelp to vent because they aren't being heard. And if I'm going to be accessible in a comment, I also need to be accessible in real life. And there's something about the internet where we can email everyone and anyone. But if we don't actually listen to others, then we're never ever going to win. And the, and the best brands right now, if you look at, you know, through the years, like Southwest was really great. They're not as much anymore because sadly they've raised their prices. But the reason why is because Herb Kelleher, who was their CEO, he was accessible. He would go and he would check bags, you know, at, at Dallas Fort Worth airport and make sure people were on their airplanes. And once you're the influencer, I think it's there's an obligation to really pay it back to people and be there for them in real life or online or in, in any manifestation of those. I, I resonate with that a lot from a sales standpoint, Ryan. I, I know when I was younger, I used to always sort of be put off by the person who was the door-to-door salesperson or you know would be persistent on calling or emailing. And, and, and now after, you know, years of being in sales myself in the training industry, I have much more respect for people who are willing to be persistent and to reach out professionally, of course, not spammy. I have a lot more respect for that than I used to because I've been there. And so I, I see, I, you know, I, I can understand that perspective. And I think that that's really a good thing for all of us to be thinking about when we're thinking about trying to connect with influencers. The influencers are out there. They've been there. They've gone through those obstacles and those challenges. And so I think that should just be a reminder for all of us of, you know, all of the all of these people are people too. You know, they have the same fears and, and struggles in many cases that we've had. They're just at a different place in their careers. And so if we've got fear, that's okay, but not to let the fear stop us of reaching out and making new connections with people, even if they are an influencer or an industry, because there's so many great doors that can open for both of you. Absolutely. Like me, I imagine you get, get cold emails all the time, people asking for stuff or, hey, can I send you a book? And they don't even take the time to like at, mention your name or they don't uh, give you any sort of like personal connection like, hey, I even listened to your podcast. They just put you on a list and they spam you. Yeah, yeah. And those people, like just being thoughtful goes a long way. Like, hey, I'm going to craft a really nice email. It's going to be brief to the point. I'm going to ask you for this. I'm going to give you this in return. We, Our friend John Corcoran that introduced us, he, he has a great story where he tried to get Adam Grant on his podcast and Adam wouldn't say... Yes. So Adam wanted to market his book, Give and Take. So John introduced him to a lot of other podcasters and got booked 
he booked Adam Grant, especially took over as his PR for like three different podcasts. <laughs> nice. And then eventually Adam went on his podcast. And that kind of mentality is like, how can I help someone even if they're they're not prepared to collaborate with me just yet? Well, and it's funny you mentioned John because he's been on this show three or four times now. So our audience knows him well. John cold emailed me, I don't know, three or four years ago. And but it was a great email, Ryan. He wrote about, he'd mentioned Dale Carnegie. He talked about the show. He had clearly listened to a few episodes because he mentioned things that we had talked about. I think he even mentioned my wife by name. I mean, it was really a thoughtful someone. It wasn't just a random someone had sent an email to a list. He he had spent his time doing his homework. It was a very thoughtful email. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, this guy seems really nice. And I emailed back and I'm so glad I did because that's ended up being just, just a wonderful relationship for both of us. But like you said, I also for every email I get like that, I get a I get 50 that are like someone's just it's a cut and paste kind of a thing. And uh, and it's not personal. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, people pitch me countless, like five times a day, I get a, an email that I sometimes call them out on it where I email them back and I say, hey, what's your favorite podcast episode you've listened to? Or, hey, can I add you to my email list to let you know when the, you know, when the book comes out? And then I get crickets because they don't know what they're doing and they're, they're in quantity. And so they're saying, okay, I have 500 emails. I'm going to reach out to these people that I put into a database and my intern is going to cold outreach. But John, you know, went out for quality. Yeah. You got to give people value and make sure it's the right fit. And if it is, then it's a win-win and you can actually turn relationships into friend friendships. Yeah. And it's like a very simple thing that now John years later is still someone that you consider a friend, not just someone who you have a relationship with online. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. No, this is great. And Ryan, I think this is going to really provide a great roadmap for the folks in our community who want to do more of this, want to get better at it, know that they want to be online and influencing in an effective way, or even inside their organization of doing this. Uh, There's so many great ways to do this. And I love your message of, you know, pick one, get started, you know, do the legwork you need to do, find the help if you need to find the help with the people you know in your network, and maybe you have to spend a little money to do it. But boy, there's such a, such great things that can happen. And and it's a great lead into your book too, which is published, which is uh, publishing as we're airing the show. So uh, tell us about the book and what people can gain from it. Yeah, the book is a two and a half year project of mine where I've interviewed hundreds of people that I consider influential online. And these are top YouTube creators, podcasters, self-published, best-selling authors, and people that have done it themselves, no outside investment. And I, I realized these people are small business owners. And an influencer on YouTube that's making you know or $500,000 a year is a small business owner just by happenstance. And they maybe fell into it through luck. And so someone like Chris Hartwick and Nerdist and you know Mark Marin of WTF Podcast and Hannah Hart, who's a YouTube creator, and Freddie Wong, who I just mentioned. And I've interviewed all these people and their companies and their team members. And I've made a three-step process, which I've mentioned, and then 10 principles around that. And these are for anyone to launch an idea in the digital age. And it's all about launching, you know, creating your idea, sharing it to the world, and then thriving. And I found that there is a way to reverse engineer the careers of these people and that no one had done it before. And so I felt like I could be the guy to write that book And I worked in marketing at a company called Machinima, which is a gaming network on YouTube. I worked at Disney in marketing, as you you mentioned in the intro. I have a marketing background with Activision and video games and movies. And so I'm the ultimate case study here because I figured if I could market 
all these other products, could I market my own product? And along the way, I figured that there's a power in email list and I, I, I mash up everything I've learned. And so I've created lessons and actions at the end of every chapter. So you'll get a narrative story about someone like Freddie Wong, who I just mentioned, and his crowdfunding success. And I, I talk about him being an early adopter. And that's a common characteristic for people in the influencer economy. And they're curious about tech. And then I have lessons afterwards and takeaways and actions for the, the readers of the book to actually apply this to their business and their ideas. And I've distilled, hopefully, a lot of great uh, lessons for people to, to learn from and, and actually execute off of rather than just telling the stories of these influencers. Ryan, I love it. It's a great framework for folks who want to do more of this. And particularly if you're the kind of person that's trying to influence more effectively in today's economy, I hope you'll check it out. Ryan, thanks a ton for your time and for coming on the show. And I'm really uh, looking forward to our next in-person conversation too. Absolutely. And I actually, I'm, I'm making a, uh, I have a destination page for your, your podcast guests that I'm going to make specifically for your show where I, I'm gonna, I can give them a free chapter of the book. Oh, nice. Awesome. So if they're up for it, they can go to influencereconomy.com slash coaching for leaders. And I'll pick the chapter that I, I think resonates after, after uh, digesting our conversation and I'll give it to the, to the audience for free. All right, great. Well, thanks so much. We'll definitely get that in the show notes. Uh, check it out. And Ryan Williams is the author of The Influencer Economy. Check it out online or wherever you purchase books. Thanks a ton, Ryan. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Ryan, so much for your thoughts. And the thing I'm taking away from this conversation is the reminder to just get started on things. Uh, I don't know about you, but my default setting for many years was to think through the full plan for the next six months to a year to five years or whatever the situation was, uh, get all the details down, go through the project plan ad nauseum and script everything out. And I've learned uh, not to do that, uh, or at least to limit the amount of time that I spend trying to plan every little detail until I've gotten some feedback and tried some things. And when I've tried things, I find that I generally get one of three results. Either it's a smashing success or a complete failure or something in between. And most of the time, it's something in between. And so then... I take it, make it better, get feedback from people, find out what worked, find out what didn't, make it better, improve upon it for the next version or set it aside if it's not working. And that has worked really well in situations with customers, with colleagues, leadership situations, even in our family. And so if you're like me and you tend to like to have everything planned out and scripted and and then got it all set for how it's going to look, you know, six months from now, I would encourage you to really take what I hear from Ryan's uh, thoughts today and some of this, uh, some of the attitude of just getting started, try new things, uh, be willing to fall fl flat on your face on occasion, and to learn from that. And I think the people out there that I see these days I shouldn't say I think. I know the people out there that I see these days, the customers I work with, the clients who I'm coaching, the people that are willing to be nimble and try new things and experiment, not carelessly by any means, thinking things through, but trying new things and engaging with their customers and colleagues and getting feedback, making things better. Those are the people who are being successful in the influencer economy like Ryan talks about. And I would encourage you to be one of those folks as well. And if you have never done something like that before, if you're, or if you're trying to get something started, 
just start this week. Do something that will take you on that action to move forward in being more influential in your work. And if you're looking for more details, go over to the show notes, coachingforleaders.com slash 250. And of course, the link to Ryan's book is there as well, The Influencer Economy. And speaking of influential, I am so glad to have met uh, someone who has become a friend of mine over the last year. And that person is Beth Bilo. She's been on the podcast a couple of times previously. And Beth and I are actually part of a mastermind group together. And we talk weekly. And both of us and Bonnie are going to be attending a conference the first week of uh, July in Chicago. And Beth and I are co-hosting a meetup on Thursday, July 7th, 2016 in the city of Chicago. If you are listening to this and you are in the Chicago area, or if you plan to be in the Chicago area on July 7th, 2016, I would love to meet you in person and get a chance to talk with you and uh, get to know you a little bit. And Beth would love to meet you as well. And so we are going to be meeting in Millennium Park uh, at the Bean. (laughs) So if you're in the Chicago area, you know exactly where that is. Millennium Park, Thursday, July 7th, 2016 at 6 p.m. If you would like to join us, you can go over to coachingforleaders.com slash Chicago, and you can put your name and email address there, and we will keep you up to date, especially if anything changes. Those of you in the Chicago area know sometimes weather can be a little finicky in the middle of the summer, so we'll let you know if anything changes, but we're going to be there 6 o'clock Thursday, July 7th. We'll chat for about a half hour in the park, and then we'll probably migrate somewhere to get a quick bite to eat with all of us. So if you're planning to join us, please go over to coachingforleaders.com slash Chicago, if I can talk. And we'd love to meet you. And I would love to meet you if you're in the Chicago area and get a chance to uh, chat with you and have dinner if your schedule allows to stick around with us for a little bit that evening. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash Chicago is where to go. And finally, if you've just started recently listening to the show, I hope you'll take a moment if you're going online to also join my weekly leadership guide. It will provide you with access to all of the resources that I'm tracking down each week, articles, podcasts, videos, things that I think will help contribute to your leadership development. And in addition to that, it also includes a link to the notes each week for each episode. So all of the notes that uh, Ryan and I have captured here will be included in each of those updates. It comes on Wednesday to your inbox and you can get it by going to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And when you join, you'll get access to my reader's guide listing the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and also brief summaries from me on the value of each of those books. It's an 11 page reader's guide and nine minute video of those book recommendations. Go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And again, if you're in the Chicago area or will be on Thursday, July 7th, 2016, go to coachingforleaders.com slash Chicago. Let us know you're coming. Beth and I would love to meet you and get to chat with you personally. Have a great week and I'll see you next Monday. Take care.